You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast Network has led the podcasting space for the pharmacy industry. This network of pharmacists and pharmacy technicians leads the podcasting charts with more than 2 million downloads, 40 different stations, and new episodes every week. The Pharmacy Podcast Network is the number one podcast for the pharmacy professional. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and all your favorite podcast players. Join the Pharmacy Podcast Nation today. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, we are focusing on mental health in the pharmacist role, the state of mental health in America. Youth mental health is worsening. From 2012 to 2017, depression in youth increased from 8.6% to 13% of youth ages 12 to 17. And now studies show 2 million youth have severe depression and anxiety. Mental health in adults, but suicidal intentions and attempts has increased from 3% in 2012 of the population to 4% in 2017. That's over 10 million adults in the United States with serious thoughts of suicide. We're gonna be focusing on mental health in this series if you'd like to participate, please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send us an email, publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. We thank you for your work as pharmacists, and we're here for you. Please reach out. Together, we can care for each other so that you, the hub of healthcare, the pharmacist, can care for communities across the nation. In tonight's Health Watch, mental health issues have long carried a severe stigma, and that's even true when it comes to children. Few kids receive the treatment and services they need. Dr. Max Gomez here to tell us the American Academy of Pediatrics wants to make a change to that. Doctor. That's right, guys, and this is not a small problem. Studies estimate that one in every five children suffer from a mental disorder such as anxiety and depression, and that could impact their health into adulthood, not to mention how those issues impair performance at school. It's time for a change. 18-year-old Kennedy Campbell has been dealing with anxiety since she was in daycare at age three. I didn't talk to anybody for six months, so they thought I was just really shy. Her anxiety would leave her unable to speak. Doctors finally diagnosed her with an anxiety disorder known as selective mutism. Talking is like overwhelming and a lot of people with this disorder don't speak outside of the home. It would have been helpful if the doctors had diagnosed her earlier. Now the American Academy of Pediatrics is releasing a new report that provides pediatricians with guidance on how to help children with mental health challenges. There is a, a, a huge shortage of child and adolescent psychiatrists and increasing prevalence of these problems. We can help play a more effective role so that more children get recognized and into treatment. 
The report calls on pediatricians to recognize and address trauma and other threats to children's mental health. Dr. Corey Green is a pediatrician at New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell. The big disorders right now that are more prevalent and probably within the scope of a pediatrician are things like ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, anxiety, depression. Now, for a long time, mental health problems weren't thought to affect many children. Now we know that everything from anxiety to bipolar disorder to depression affects kids. And severe depression is a known contributor to the rising rate of teen suicide. And what's important about this, too, is that there are good treatments for all of these uh, conditions, everything from talk therapy to medication. But the key is got to get the kids into the treatment. you got to get rid of that stigma and get them into the treatment. Yes, the help is there. Exactly. This pandemic has placed so much pressure on parents and, and your children and how they're perceiving going back to school or not going back to school or learning online. My eight-year-old and my 11-year-old are not fans of online learning and they've told me that it stresses them out that they can't be in front of their teacher and ask questions and feel more involved in their education and then i think of the healthcare worker i think of our frontline in hospital system physicians and nurses and pharmacists in health system environments that are in touch and in direct contact with people that are infected with COVID-19 and the additional level of stress that that puts on them as healthcare providers, but also the stress it places on their family as healthcare providers. I think of the independent community pharmacy owners and workers who are the first line of defense of all healthcare for many rural areas and how mental health plays into this. My name is Todd Yuri. I'm the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, and this network is dedicated to our pharmacist professionals, but it's also about collaboration between pharmacists, physicians, nurse practitioners, specialists, and even administration. And this series is dedicated to the pharmacist and mental health and what that encompasses. And the pandemic's just one part of it because this, this spans so much more. This spans pediatrics, this spans health system, community, long-term care, senior care, specialty medications, psychotropics, the world of pharmacogenomics and how that might turn into and play into mental health. I want to welcome a pharmacist who's going to be helping with this series in and out and will be participating in some of these uh, podcast episodes and we'll have others participating in others. But I want to welcome Dr. Monica Krishan to the podcast and today's mental health specific podcast series. Monica, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast. Thank you so much, Todd, for having me and inviting me to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You're very welcome. And we've met on Instagram. It's amazing how different facets of social media bring us closer together. And it's, it's the positivity of, of social media. Mostly I connect through LinkedIn, but Instagram is becoming a bigger platform 
and anywhere that our patients are and people are and our our uh, conversations are happening, I, I really believe we need to be as pharmacists and pharmacy professionals. So let's give the listeners, the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, some background on yourself and, and why you're a pharmacist and why you're also very passionate about mental health. Absolutely. So I have been practicing pharmacy for close to about 18 years now. And uh, currently I work in um, the community setting. So mental health, I want to say, is one of the areas in healthcare that I am so passionate about. Um, unfortunately, it's an area in healthcare that's stigmatized and we don't get too much attention on it as far as healthcare. Um, we give more attention to patients who have hypertension or diabetes, but when it comes to mental health, um, there really isn't that much attention that's being given on to the patient um, just because social, social stigma, self-stigma. So my goal here on this platform to help replace stigma, mental health stigma, and replace it with love, compassion, empathy, and understanding for anyone out there who is dealing with mental health or anyone who has a loved one that is dealing with mental health. I'm glad that you've said that and you've made that statement and your commitment to this series is so important. Uh, you do an amazing job on Instagram and getting messaging out. This will be pushed through all social media platforms. If you're listening right now and you're a pharmacist that's also passionate about this subject and you'd like to help us, please reach out to us and you can email me at publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. That's publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. Monica's information through Instagram will be put in the show notes so that we can all uh, collectively um, work and build this content out. Mental health is one of the most neglected areas of public health, just as Monica just said. Close to 1 billion people are living with mental health disorders and 3 million people die every year from the harmful use of alcohol, other drugs. One person dies every 40 seconds by suicide. And now we know that billions of people around the world have been affected by COVID-19 pandemic which is having a further impact on people's mental health and just being happy, understanding their next step in life. I have a godson who got his scholarship for Youngstown University as a defensive football player, all excited, started um, in, in the spring and was sent home and now they're not sure what's happening and that whole entire football season's put on, you know, um, hold. And he knows and he feels depression that he said he hadn't felt before because of the breaks that have been put on his life. And that's a light side of this, Monica. That's not even the, the depths of what people are actually going to. And there's limited access and quality of affordable mental health services throughout the country and because of the stigma it's blown off we have people that don't really sometimes think that it's a big a deal and you just have to pick yourself up and stop being so negative and be more positive and i tell you what you have 
reasons in your own life that what you've gone through as a as a healthcare provider that you shared with me before, but also in your personal life of things that have impacted you that have knocked you off your course in life. And I really want you to share those with our listeners just to get context, just in a personal story. Absolutely. So in 2011, I was the patient dealing with mental health. I was no longer the pharmacist. Um, I lost my husband to a very difficult battle of brain cancer. I was only 35 years old and my babies were only one and three when he was diagnosed. He battled for two years and in the matter of two years, he went from limping to wheelchair, to G-tube, to loss of vision, to coma. I quit my job as a pharmacist to become his 24-hour nurse. I had to manage all his medications, all his doctor's appointments. Um, he needed 24-hour care. And not to mention, I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old that I had to take care of. After my husband's death, we had to figure out what to do. It was just me and my two kids. So I had to sell my home because I couldn't afford it anymore. I had to find a job because I had quit my job to take care of him. So I moved up about an hour from where I was living to be near my parents um, here in California. And I found a part-time job. I was super blessed to find a part-time job. So I found a job that allowed me to work weekends. Um, every weekend, I worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There, and then I could take care of my kids Monday through Thursday. And all of a sudden, I find myself in this dark, dark place mentally. I'm all alone. I have to raise these kids by myself. I don't have a stable job. How am I gonna find a home? All these things are running through my head. And so what I had to do is first and foremost is to make sure my kids were okay. So even though they were really little, you know, they still felt the loss of my husband and especially my five-year-old. So I put both kids into um, a supportive uh, children's group therapy. Um, and then I myself didn't really take care of myself mentally till about a year later, because I just felt that, oh, you know what? I'll be okay. It's normal to cry this much. It's normal to feel this, this much sadness. And I just kept myself super busy thinking, okay, you know, let's just focus on buying a home, getting my kids situated, and then I'll take care of me later. Well, a year later, my kids were okay. They're in school now. They're doing well, but I wasn't doing okay. I got out of bed, put on makeup, and had to go to work, but as soon as I came home, I'd wipe off that makeup, crawl into bed, and just spent nights after nights just crying to myself. And I tried really hard not to let my kids see me cry. 
So then one day I went to my primary care doctor and this is like almost a year and a half after my husband's death. And I said, you know what? I cannot live like this anymore. I don't know what to do, you know? And I was contemplating on getting on antidepressants, but I had that, you know, call it an ego, a pharmacist ego thinking, oh gosh, I don't need to be on an antidepressant. And then I finally realized that that was my ego talking. And I said to myself, yes, I need help. So my doctor put me on a low dose um, antidepressant called Lexapro. Um, and then I also enrolled myself into a group uh, counseling, grief counseling, and then private counseling. Um, and then joined a gym. So, you know, just a few of these things to kind of help me feel better. And then within two months of drug therapy, I was starting to feel better. I had pockets of happiness. I was starting to appreciate little things that my kids were doing. I was starting to take care of myself physically. Um, I'd go out with my girlfriends. And so I remained on an antidepressant for a good five years. Um, and I stayed in therapy for a good seven years um, along with my kids. Um, so, and even now it's almost 10 years later we still had the same therapist and we do check-in check-in visits. So it's like once a month, we just check in. Um, obviously with the pandemic, we've had to check in a little bit more just because everyone's kind of going through all these different emotions. But um, I finally realized 10 years later that um, it's okay to ask for help and asking for help is a sign of bravery. And I remind myself as a pharmacist that you know what, going to a counselor or a therapist when feeling sad or, or feeling sad should be as normal as going to the doctor for the flu or bronchitis. And um, so that's why this entire field of, you know, mental health is so dear to my heart is because I was to that patient who dealt with major depression 10 years ago. Jeez, that's, that is an incredible story. And thank you so much for sharing that. Um, that's, and you know, the honesty uh, comes through and, and now understanding context in your own life and being able to have that empathy for someone that might be going through something similar or, or even slightly different, but that ongoing depression is is so captivating in ways that it holds you in a condition that diabetes doesn't or hypertension doesn't or even a cancer doesn't or actually can be incorporated as a as, as an added as added on to other disease states or chronic conditions i when i was in the opioid usage disorder sector of healthcare for about three and a half years as a director of strategy in, in helping 83 different centers throughout the country focus on partnerships with hospital systems and pharmacists and and ways of funding for people that couldn't afford their their treatment 60 percent of the patients of that 25,000 patients that were being cared for in the umbrella of of the company called new season were suffering with something else 
And Monica, I can't believe out of the 60% that we're suffering with another chronic condition, of those 60%, 80% of them were suffering with depression. And it makes me think we're so judgmental as a culture. To, my dad, for example, would, and, and I would argue, and then I brought to light so many things that, that were about addiction that he was like, you know, they're junkies or they just need to quit or they just need to wake up one day and make it a new day or they need to go to church or they, and those things. And he's like exercise and exercise and, and meditation and church and, and fellowship. That is true. That those are great things, but addiction and, and depression and the compounding of both of those, that's huge. And it, it's, it's a weight that a lot of people cannot get rid of they can't get from underneath that rock so what's your experience in the world of of helping those people that are compounding that they have multiple issues that are stemming from depression yeah you know it's just um i've seen i've seen the the entire stigma the stigma around mental health resulting in patients not wanting to seek help um and as a result, I've seen a lot more substance abuse or illegal drug abuse or alcohol consumption or getting into uh, smoking, vaping, um, just as a way for them to numb their pain. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really sad because I have, you know, seen some, some family members, some parents, uh, coming into the pharmacy and um, they'll be standing right next to their patient, their, their child while I'm consulting with them. And they're not getting the support from their family members or their parents. And to some of these parents, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke that my kid is on uh, an antidepressant. He doesn't need it. You know, he just, he'll be fine. He'll get over it. He'll, he'll play sports and he'll be outside. And, and in a matter of a few months, I think people just, it's, it's like I said, it's the area of healthcare that um, people don't really realize that there is a chemical imbalance of neurotransmitters going on in the brain, just like we have issues with cardiovascular disease. You know, there's issues with arteries. There are, there's a science behind depression. There's a science behind anxiety, uh, psychosis, um, you know, uh, bipolar, um, ADHD. Um, and if you look and analyze the science and what's going on inside the brain, you'll realize that a lot of these drug therapies that are uh, produced for these health conditions are geared towards um, for most of them, the lack of these neurotransmitters effect, uh, neurotransmitter um, activity that's going on in the brain. That's really interesting because I always wondered, how do you describe what's happening to someone that's suffering with clinical depression versus maybe a, a woman that just had a baby that's going through postpartum depression that might be temporary yeah. and chemical what's actually happening in the brain. Can you kind of go through a little bit of that as well? Absolutely. So, you know, with, 
with depression, it's, it's short term, it can be long term. Um, it's like this entire huge uh, broad spectrum. And within depression, you've got like, you know, uh, major, major depressive disorder, you've got bipolar depressive disorder. So it's just a huge broad spectrum. Obviously, you have to get clinically diagnosed by um, a healthcare professional. Um, there is an actual criteria that you have to meet to be, be uh, clinically diagnosed. Um, so just to give you an example, when we are talking about depression, um, when you are depressed, you have a decrease of your happy neurotransmitters in your brain, um, serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. Those are your three major neurotransmitters in your brain that affect your mood and your happiness and your overall well-being. And when you're looking at the science, um, you have a decrease of these neurotransmitters in your brain when you have depression. So I've read from a psychologist, Kevin Gillian, who did a paper and part of his paper was the misinformation and the wrong diagnosis of qualifying the specific type of mental disorder, depression, mental health, behavioral health, and how enormous he was saying the sector of healthcare is that is most of the time misqualified or qualified incorrectly. And he was quoted in saying, people are more than willing to talk about their high blood pressure, but a, but a lot less willing to talk about an STD. And similarly, people don't want to talk about their anxiety or their mood issues and less, and also even less likely to talk about addiction issues. And that has caused to do with the perception and the bias and the fear of experiencing some sort of stigma. And that's kind of an eye opener because we should all as healthcare professionals and pharmacists that are listening, understand that your patients don't want to feel judged and they need help. And lots of your patients that are coming to you for a chronic condition, like diabetes, for example, may be suffering with depression or some form of behavioral health issue that isn't even being under, un, uncovered. And therein lies, Monica, the opportunity for pharmacists to counsel patients once in a while during their medication reviews to ask them how they're doing. And, you know, the, looking in them, them, in them in the eye and saying, are you okay? Are you doing okay? And giving them an opportunity to reach out to you as possible, the only healthcare provider that has asked them that question has been honest and has slowed down. And we're out there pushing 600, 1200 prescriptions a day. And, you know, you're getting smacked with DIR fees and there's things happening to your pharmacy and you're, you're worried about paying the bills. And here we get with COVID-19 and we got all this pandemic and you got staff and you have, and all this stress on you as a healthcare provider and then your patients Sometimes you're the only person that they have to reach out to. Monica, that in and of itself is is pressure on on you as the healthcare provider. Oh yeah, 
It really is. And I'll share a story with you about a patient um, just I helped last week. This mom came into the pharmacy and um, she had been coming in for the last couple years to pick up antidepressant medications for her daughter. But this time she came in for a depression medication for herself. So I asked her how she was doing and how her daughter was doing and come to find out at consultation, I spent about 15 minutes with her. She said her daughter was trying to cut herself. Uh, her daughter is a senior in, in high school and just the pressure of being in school and the pandemic and online schooling that her daughter has already been dealing with underlying depression over the last four years is now cutting herself. So now the mom is now dealing with depression because she is just so overwhelmed so this actually really affected me because, you know, I'm a mom of two teens and, and I have been helping this mom with her teen and now I'm dealing with trying to help the mom. So it is, it does take a toll on you because, you know, you, you develop a relationship. When you work in a community pharmacy, you develop a relationship with these patients. You know them on a one, one name basis you know, and they come to you. Most patients come to a pharmacy and spend time and, and seek medical advice from a pharmacist than going to their actual healthcare, their primary care doctor um, or their pediatrician. So we have to remember that when patients are sick or they're dealing with, with issues, their first stop is a pharmacy to speak with the pharmacist. Um, and so I love speaking with my patients um, at consultation. I always ask them how they're doing. I will look at them. I will look at them in the eye because one thing you have to remember is when someone is dealing with mental health, they cannot make eye contact with you. They will look all over the place. They just cannot make eye contact with you. And a lot of that is just the shame that they feel that they're on this medication. It's just, um, what they're going through inside. And I know that because that was me. I couldn't make eye contact 10 years ago when I went into the pharmacy to pick up my prescription. I felt ashamed. And um, I actually let my patients know when I am talking to them about the different side effects and how to take the medication um, that, you know what, there's no judgment. And sometimes I'll share my story with them. I will tell them, you know what, I was on this medication 10 years ago and good for you for being on it. You know, you think it's, it, I'm glad you're taking it. I want you to continue to take it. Don't stop taking it unless your doctor says otherwise. Um, and as soon as I share my story with my patients, it's just like their eyes lift up. They make eye contact with me because sometimes you just need to hear that somebody else is going through this. It's just not you. And when you're dealing with depression, all you think about is the loneliness and how alone you are. And you don't realize that there are other people out there that are going through this. So um, that's my uh, role in a community setting. Monica, when I think of those in need and my own 17-year-old daughter goes through some depression of her own, and I feel that it was my fault because her mother and I broke up when she was only five years old. And it's very noticeable between my second born 
who is 11. And back at that time, she was only one. And she knew nothing of the life that my firstborn knew about because dad was always there for her. And I was a comic stress relief for her with chasing and tickles and puppet shows and different things that would relieve relieve her of, of stresses. And I feel like I helped to cause some of her behavioral health issues. And I had to go to a counselor because of that, because of the pressure it was putting on me. And I think of how that can spiral out of control if I didn't, if I didn't have someone to talk to and the guilt I would have felt. But the stigma was still there, f even of, of that of myself. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't talk to my mother about that. I didn't talk to my brothers about that. I didn't really talk to anybody about it. And I really should have because I was afraid of the stigma. You know, we look at the stigma of mental health only in the last five to 10 years, if, if not even two years, goodness gracious, is the stigma finally disintegrating, but it's still there. And think about how long it's been there. Think about there's been no treatment for psychiatric issues and how many people were put into psychiatric wards, including women that were completely healthy and all they were going through was postpartum depression and their husbands would commit them to these facilities and that would spiral them because imagine if you're going through something like that I can't imagine it directly, but I can imagine it from an imagination perspective that I'm going through a depression. My wife throws me into a mental hospital and I'm now around people that are truly dealing with some very serious mental health issues, which would make me feel even worse about my own condition. And probably Monica could put me into another level or state of of increasing a mental health issue. And when I think of, you know, a 4,000 year history of telling women that they have quote unquote hysteria for any range of symptoms, then this can be, this is documented in many uh, psychology historical books. And they started getting prescribed different um, medications that weren't really proven. And this could be about a multitude of things, including the lobotomies that they gave people that were absolutely, you know, barbaric and the depression that, that people went through and the, the, the lack of empathy and the lack of understanding and patients that with, with even levels of schizophrenia and, and how it was misdiagnosed or what we didn't know about it. You know, I'll make the statement. I want to get your opinion on this, Monica, but I think mental health is probably the hardest um, condition to uh, diagnose and treat ongoing. I have to agree, hundred percent, a hundred percent, and um, and a lot of it is people don't seek the help right away. Sometimes they wait till it's it's further on in their depression or their anxiety. Um, until somebody really pushes them to get the help or they have to be hospitalized. Um, you know, we don't see that in other areas of healthcare. 
you know, and, and one of the biggest things um, is preventative care. Um, we have so much preventative care in all areas of medicine from, you know, preventative care for immunizations to, you know, to diabetes or, you know, these are the things that you must take so you can prevent a heart attack or a stroke, but we don't have the preventative measures for mental health. We need to be able to have more um, available screenings for, for adolescent age kids. We need to have more counselors readily available at schools. Um, we need to have affordable um, healthcare to allow us to see a therapist whenever we want. A lot of these uh, therapies, sessions, therapists are private. Um, so people can't afford a $200 copay for an hour session with a therapist. So then of course they're not going to go. Um, we need to be able to use uh, preventative care now, even more now, especially with the pandemic in this area of healthcare. So let's talk about this show. Let's talk about a call out to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. If you are a pharmacist, if you are a healthcare provider, if you're a pharmacy technician, because this network goes out to pharmacy technicians as well, and you want to get involved in participating in this series, please reach out to us. There is, there's no way that one person, one clinician, one pharmacist, one psychiatrist has all the answers because people are so different. Humans are so different. Even cultures are different in the way that they treat people with behavioral health needs. And I believe that this program and series will help a lot of our pharmacists to have the courage to reach out to more of their patients, to look inward to themselves, to look to their family, to look to their communities as a way to serve and give back. And actually, that's one of the ways that I feel better about myself day after day and week after week is is knowing that this simplistic publication this podcast can reach so many pharmacists who's my absolute favorite healthcare provider and to do more so the subjects are not limited so we may be talking about psych psychotropics and and mental health therapies and the pharmacist's role and clinical utility of pharma, pharmacogenomics and the psychotropic medications and the diagnosis and ensuring that there's a there's efficacy and we might be talking about um, medications for um, temporary conditions uh, like postpartum uh, that women go through after some women go through after childbirth exercise and mental health we just had dr ashley dwyer on and Ashley was talking about the importance of exercise and mental health and even nutrition and how that it can impact. So, and then obviously COVID-19 and how that's changed things. So we want to open this up. Monica is going to help us craft many of these um, episodes. However, we want more pharmacist involvement in the mental health series and the pharmacist role in mental health. So reach out to us, but Monica, is there anything that you want to add to pharmacists that are listening right now before we wrap up? No, I think, you know, the most important thing is 
Um, we're all in this together. Um, I feel really strongly that if we all work together and we show more empathy, compassion, um, help break that stigma, I think we're going to see a huge, huge improvement um, in how we handle mental health. We do have a lot of work ahead of us. Um, we're all going to have a loved one or ourselves. We're going to have some type of trauma or something that happens in our life to, to put us in, an, in a situation where we are dealing with either anxiety or depression. So we just have to show empathy that when you're dealing with somebody, that you know somebody who is dealing with mental health, that can be you. That can be you in their shoes. So we just have to break that stigma and replace it with love and compassion. Thank you. And thank you, Monica, for doing this and being available. I've talked to you multiple times. And every time I do, you've been open and willing to help put this together. And that's why this platform is so strong, because pharmacists believe in what they do. They believe in helping others, the patients that you're serving. I do want to give a shout out to Dr. Chloe Givens, Dr. Melissa, Dr. Fatima, uh, they've been mentioned. They're on Instagram. We're going to have uh, ways to reach out to them on Instagram as well. What's your favorite social media platform? Is it Instagram, Monica? Yes. I mostly use Instagram. Okay. Pharmacy yes, Podcast is, yes. yep, Pharmacy Podcast is mostly on um, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, probably in that order, but we got to get our Instagram game pumped up a little bit more like, like yours is, Monica. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. I actually just started this platform, honestly, when COVID began as a way to just spread medical information, positivity, and just be real, you know, because um, that's what the world needs. The, yes, the, there's that positivity, but the world also needs to know that, you know what, it's okay not to be okay sometimes. Absolutely. And we've appreciated your videos. You do a great job. Ah, uh, thank you. Monica... Thank you so much for helping us launch this. Uh, Dr. Monica Krishnan is a champion of mental health. We're excited about this series. Please share these podcasts with other pharmacists and healthcare professionals, and let's mix it up. Let's get other healthcare professionals involved. Let's get um, a psychiatrist, if you know, that would like to be here, um, a mental health worker that wants to be here, someone in addiction. Regardless, uh, that's how we learn. That's how we expand. That's how we get better. And the Pharmacy Podcast Network and Nation is is committed to that. If you need anything, if you want to reach out to us, please let us know what we can do in helping you. Information you want us to source for you, research, even a podcast subject that we haven't covered. We thank you for what you do. We thank you for all that you put into your work as pharmacists. We thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.